Welcome to Vino 101, episode 36, a conversation with Alex Garachi. Why don't you start, well, um, your, why don't you start uh, by telling us about your, um, your company, about your wholesale company and your importing company? Sure. Well, you know, I mean, I think, um, if I may, uh, I came to the United States a long time ago on a soccer scholarship, and I wanted to become the next Pelé, <laughs> but obviously that did not happen. I got, you know, in the middle of the playoffs, so I went to have a scholarship in college, and in the middle of the playoffs on so my senior year, I got injured. And that was 32 years ago, or 33 years ago, and the following year, I got in the wine business importing Chilean wines. We're talking about a long, long time ago when the only imports you could find was wines like Rayonidi, Lancers, and those sort of wines, right? So here I was living in Northern California in the backyard of the California wine industry, and here I'm peddling Chilean wines. So people thought I was crazy. Anyway, it took a long time. I loaded my first three containers. In those days, I was playing soccer. I was in pretty good shape, so I could do that. But I really started my business, you know, from the garage. And it was extremely difficult because introducing Chilean wines 32 years ago, it was a real, real task. And now, little by little, I started introducing wine from Chile, even though it was difficult. Uh, I was doing the sales and the marketing and delivering and unloading, you name it, I did it. So that's how I got how I got started. First was Chilean wine, then was a little bit of New Zealand wine, Argentinian wine. But really, everything sort of turned around when I moved to Southern California about 26, 25 years ago or so. 25, 26 years ago. It seemed like people in Southern California were more open and ready to uh, drink uh, South American wines. I guess there was a equator uh, um, uh, ethnic groups that are, were willing to taste uh, Chilean, Argentinian, Australian wines. Northern California, being, I was living in Palo Alto, Mountain View area, so it was too close to the wine country and people were more a little kind of stiff and said, I only drink, you know, hey, listen, I, I'm right next to Napa and Sonoma. I mean, forget about Chilean wines. So it was very tough, and so things turned around when I moved to Southern California. Oh, that's I can definitely see how it's very difficult to, uh, to, uh, be, trying to be trying to peddle uh, Chilean wines in Napa and Sonoma. Yeah. Uh, that's a really hard part. So you were a one-man show, so for, one -man show for, uh, for six or seven, six or seven years, years then. I was one-man show for the first, I would say, five years. I did have an assistant or a secretary, uh, either part-time or full-time. Uh, but I did not, the first few years, I did not have the means to really hire somebody. I mean, I was barely making it myself. I mean, I was ready to go out of business maybe a hundred times. In the first five years, you know, I was living on $2,000, and with that, I needed to pay rent, and I needed to pay for food and gas and uh, for my truck so I could deliver the wine and make sales. Wow, that's, wow that's, that's, a that's a fantastic story. What a great way to start, and what a difference between then and now, I would imagine. So, oh, yeah. so um, uh, we've, heard we've heard recently about the, uh, the, uh, the fires that you had, had in January in Chile, um, and, um, and your um, president, uh, president uh, Michelle Bachelet. Is that how you say her name? Yes. Bachelet. Michelle Bachelet. 
Bachelet. Uh, she said that um, this was the greatest, this was the greatest uh, forest disaster in Chilean history, and I was just interested to find out what you thought and what was the impact, impact of the fires on you and your company and also the Chilean people. Yeah, well, you know, it was catastrophic. It was uh, over one million acres were burnt. You know, there is good and bad in, in all of these, and hopefully uh, at the end more good for the wine industry. Uh, but I would say uh, the bad is uh, a lot of people will lose their jobs because there's a lot of acres that were planted and were lost. And uh, so farmers uh, were hurt the most. And obviously some people living in the, in the, um, in the areas nearby. So uh, Maule and the region of Maule and Rapel were the ones that was mostly, uh, they, they suffered the most. And that's sort of south of, uh, of Santiago, south of Colchagua, which is and Maipo, which is the main region. So these areas that were um, affected the most were burned. It was mostly for bulk wine, okay? So bulk wine was really what suffered the most. So and, and, the, and the vines were old vines, but they were native vines, like the wines that were brought by the Spaniards in the early 1700, which is a grape called Pais, that produces bulk. So not a lot of great juice, not a lot of great uh, vineyards, but of course, a lot of them were lost. Now, the good news is I think we'll see better quality wines coming from Chile because there are not going to be enough available for the producers to make bulk wine or the producers to make a lot of wine. So the price is going to go up and we'll see better quality coming from Chile. Oh, that's, well, that's a, that's a, lot, a blessing in disguise, I suppose. For us, like good wine, yes. Yeah. <laughs> were the fires, um, I, I understand they, they burned for just weeks, weeks on weeks. On end. Yeah. On end. Is it because, is it because uh, uh, they didn't have adequate systems to control the fires? or Both. Both. As a matter of fact, I think the biggest issue, you know, uh, unfortunately, the natives, some still, we still have some natives that lived in the south of Chile, and they've been voicing their opinion and, and they, they want to get more from the government and this and I think so most of these fires were committed by them. So it was our son. Oh, wow. And we were not prepared to deal with 20 different fires in 20 different um, you know areas that uh, that were trees and vines and so it was uh, there was a lot of forests were burnt and we didn't have the, the equipment and the people to really uh, help to be, be able to confront this tragedy. So we got, we did get some help from the United States and Brazil with big airplanes and big tankers and so. But it took weeks, took weeks to to take to get uh, that fire uh, off. So arson. So arson. Uh, and that, that was the main uh, cause. And that, that was, was the main arson. cause. It was because of arson. Wow, that's really, yeah. really, mm. sad. Wow, that's, that's really it, sad. It's very, very sad. You know, I mean, I think some people, you know, they, unfortunately, they, it's a situation that I don't think the government has dealt with them well. And it's something that I think they are really, they have nothing to lose. 
And I, I believe that they just took the, the, the law in their hands and committed a crime, committed an arson, which was devastated for the people of Chile and for many, many families. Yes. Well, I don't well, know if this dovetails or not, but you know, here in the United States, our current administration's recent withdrawal from the Paris Climate Accord is signaling a new stance for, um, you know, a, a change towards how we look at global warming and climate change here in the United States. Can you tell us how grape farmers and farmers in general are addressing uh, climate change in Chile? Yeah. Well, sure. For instance, one of the wineries, we work with two family-owned wineries, which I think is important. To me, I've always been important to work with family-owned wineries because they take it more to heart. So one of the things that, for instance, Montes Winery has done is do a lot of um, dry farming. So they're utilizing less water and less water. As a matter of fact, now they've reduced the use of water about 65%, which in, in, uh, is equivalent to provide water for 20,000 people a year. So I think, you know, global warming is an issue that we're all dealing with. Um, so, but we need to figure out how we're going to do the best job we can. I think farmers are, you know, trying to do different things such as, you know, uh, try to get obviously more water and, and protect the water they have, having better, um, reservoirs, uh, and, uh, and, and, and as a matter of fact, I mean, it's, if, if it becomes such a big problem, we're going to have to use more water and we're going to have to figure out a way, you know, how we're going to, how we're going to, um, irrigate. That said, eventually we're going to have to move away from those regions into cooler regions. So for Chile, we'll be moving towards the coast a little bit more, or going south. South, remember, when in, in the southern hemisphere, so south means cold, cooler is south, and not like in the northern hemisphere, which cooler would be north. I see. I see. Did I answer your question? I'm not sure. You did. Yeah, yeah. 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 As far as like you mentioned that uh, there's more increased dry farming, how do you how do you establish a vineyard to be dry farm? And can you, if you have an established vineyard, can you convert it to dry farming? Well, you know, I mean, I think one of the things that the ideal is to get these vines enough water. So you stress them, I mean, you stress them to a point where you don't kill them. So you give them enough water, but you know, not necessarily by giving them more water, the vines are gonna be healthier. Well, the more water they have, more irrigation, they produce bigger clusters, more fruit, and so on and so forth. By doing dry farming, the vines are stressed and the vines have to go deeper for, to, search for, to search for that water. And that, in return, you get smaller clusters, smaller berries, and at the end, you get a better bottle of wine. Yeah. And then also the other thing that they do, or we do, is we use the, the use of the, the foliage where you don't prune too much, so you leave the leaves more, and, and then you protect the, the berries or the bunches from getting sunburned. So it, it's sort of like, it's, it's give and take, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know, so, uh, and in some cases, 
you don't have another choice just by adding more water because because uh, you know uh, we've had really big, big droughts and, and, and it's been too hot. So, but dry farming is a way of of controlling the water usage. So do you farm so differently, you farm here, differently here, here in the United States, in here in California, and say uh, in the coastal areas than you do in Chile? I think it's about the same. It's, it all depends who we're dealing with. If it's bulk wine of its large producers, whether it's, you know, we know the big boys, the gallows of the world or the conchitores of the world, obviously they they do use a lot of water. They they, they irrigate in large quantities because what their concern is about producing lots of bulk wine, producing large amounts of wine. And the only way to do that is to get a lot of tons per acre. And to get a lot of tons per acre, you're going to have to irrigate more. You're going to have to keep those vines healthy. So when it comes to fine wine, whether it's in Chile or whether it's in California, you know, we all are concern about production, a concern about, you know, lower the yields, get better, get better fruit, stress the vines, you know, get those uh, clusters to be smaller, and that's how we're going to get quality. So I think it's two different, two different concepts. Sure, sure, sure. So, uh, so uh, Alex, can you tell us, what was your biggest challenge 20 years ago, and what's your biggest challenge today in the wine business? <laughs> oh, man. How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I would say 20 to 30 years ago, people didn't know where Chile was. People didn't know where Argentina was, to be honest with you. One guy said, where is Chile? South Africa? I said, well, half of it is right. The South part is right, but it's a different continent, right? So a lot of education. 20, 30 years ago, people didn't know anything about South American wines, didn't little, very little knowledge of Australian and New Zealand. So that was, to me, it was the biggest, biggest challenge. And also political as well, because in those days, Pinochet was president of, of Chile. So I got a hit for that. I'm not going to support your friends. You know, you have a, you know, you have a, uh, a dictator running your country. Forget about it. So that was, to me, that was the biggest challenge. How you educate consumers on Chilean and, and, and Argentina wines? I will speak of Malbecs and they'll say, what hurts? No, Malbec is a variety. It's grown in France, but it's also supposed to great in Argentina, right? Yeah. Yeah. All of that. Now, today, oh boy, today is a different story. So to me, we're living in a very, to me, as far as I'm concerned, we're living in a very difficult climate. And the reason being is because uh, it's been a lot of consolidation among distributors. So fewer distributors and uh, three times the amount of brands, huge competition. And now distributors have, have formed alliances, huge alliances with the big guys, the Bacordis of the world, the Gallus of the world, all the big companies. Remember, 10 wine companies, 10, do 79% of the total sales in America. Wow. 10. And there is over 9,000 domestic brands in the United States alone. So you think about it. So those, to me, is huge, huge challenge. And uh, they form these alliances. They have this profit protection. 
And uh, so how do you get the distributor to really uh, focus on your brands? Very challenging, very difficult. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. A lot of people don't realize when they look at that huge wall of wine when they walk into a store that it's dominated by just a, a handful of different wine companies. That's right. It's really amazing. So all, mid, all mid, mid-sized companies, small companies, just do struggle to get their product out there. Unless they're doing it themselves. But if you're growing and to get to get to to be able to reach different states or within the state of California, to be able to get on-premise or off-premise or original accounts, if you don't have the manpower, you don't have distributors to help you, very difficult to succeed. Well, this well, this dovetails a little bit, I believe. There's been an uptick, There's been an uptick in, in buyouts of, uh, of uh, venue parcels, wineries, wine brands, especially here in the west, western region of the United States. Uh, recently, we had Gallo uh, family bought uh, Stagecoach Vineyards. So I'm sure right. where, um, what, are some what are some of the positives and negatives of this market consolidation? Uh <laughs> Another good question. You know what? I don't see anything positive, to be honest with you. I just don't see anything positive. Now, I do own a vineyard, 32 acres, right next to Gallo, right next to State, State Coach. I'm all the way up in Napa Valley, right next to Antica, which is amazing vineyard. So the positive, I'm going to be selfish right now, the positive, they're driving the price of the land higher so if i'm if i'm selfish hey uh, my my vineyards just went up in price so that's the positive but it doesn't do anything for the industry because they're going to continue to control wine consumption and control the brands and control distributors to a greater extent and it makes uh it makes more difficult for everybody for instance what i hear this is just it could be a rumor or, or whatever. But what I hear is State Coach was selling most of the or all of their all, all of the grapes to different wineries, different producers. And Gallo is canceling some of those contracts, or if not all of them. Because they're gonna utilize for their own brands. Remember, Gallo is a big, it's a ten thousand pound gorilla. So they're gonna get all those grapes, they're gonna make more wine, and they're gonna push those wine into their system. Sure. So they don't want to, you know, they're going to sell some of the grapes, but they want to control more and more. That's their model. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to ask about, gonna ask about uh, the, impact um, the impact of direct to consumer, uh, the ability for um, consumers in the U.S. to purchase. Granted, it's probably pretty need some percentage of overall business for a while. But, but I wonder if that is, you know, you know going in a whole, you know, you know, I'll just say whole, uh, hog, I'll just say whole to hog to try to, to, try to uh, leverage that uh, channel versus trying to go through a distributor. Yes. Yeah, you know, can, can, can you survive? Become, can you survive even uh, um, trying to leverage that? Uh, as trying as to leverage channel. that as a channel. You know, I mean, I think that's a great question. Uh, really great question. I think the people that are doing a good job, the people that have the licenses and they be able to ship wine direct to consumers, I think they want to be benefiting from what's going on, but. And, and I think what scares me a little bit, as we all know, uh, Amazon might be buying or buying Whole Foods. And you know what's going to happen. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Cut the prices in half 
and they want to ship direct to consumers, and all the grocery chains, they could be in deep trouble. I mean, this is something that is a game changer. So they could be doing this direct to consumers in a much bigger scale. That's normal. Yeah, can you tell us about these brands and, and what motivated you invest in these regions? Yeah, okay, so uh, in 2007, uh, my goal and my dream was to buy, uh, start my own label, and start my own brand, and um, Paul Hobbs and I have been friends for many, many years, and I told Paul, I said, listen, let's do something together, so we're going to do something together, but that never happened, and one day I said, you know what? I'm not gonna wait for you, I'm gonna start my own brand. And I started Karachi Family Wines. So at the beginning, I was buying the fruit from different uh, farmers, like Andy Beckstoffer. So I was getting really good fruit, and Paul Hobbs and his team was making my wines. So uh, it was kind of a dream of mine, uh, be able to build my own winery, be able to have control of my own destiny. Because when we, you as an importer, as a sales marketing individual, you build for other people. So this is kind of a, it gives you more diverse diversity, and then you start building your own. So it was 2007, I came up with my first Napa Cab and the Karachi Family Wine, and the Sonoma Coast Pinot Noir, and I bought the fruit from, like I said, Andy Beckstoffer and Gap's Crown Fruit. So that's how we got started, 2007. So I've been doing, actually, this is my 10th year anniversary. And uh, I'm, having, I'm having a lot of fun, but I know now when people say to make wine, you know, you gotta, to make a million dollars making wine, you got to start with two. <laughs> You're not alone in the wine business, so it must be true. How do you oh, do it? Very, very true. <laughs> yeah. Very true. Yeah, that's a... Um, so, well, <laughs> yes. so what advice would you give to newcomers in, uh, in the business of winemaking? Would you say, uh, go ahead and uh, spend uh, 10 million to make 2 million? <laughs> I would say, run. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? I, I, look, I, I want to tell you this. The wine business is an amazing business. It's so much fun. You get to meet a lot of people. You get to drink amazing wine. You get to eat amazing food. Uh, you get to travel around the world. It's such a great industry. That said, I believe if I'm going to give somebody uh, an advice, I think you got to have two things, love and passion. And you need to know what you're doing. And you need to find your niche. I always say to people, my salespeople or or whoever, said, what is that compelling selling story? Because there are thousands and thousands of SKUs and brands. Why should I buy one from you or you? So the reason is because I got the passion, I got the skill set, I know what I'm doing, I, I'm offering you something special. So to those people that want to get into one business, you got to have your niche, you gotta have passion and love work for what you're doing. Loving something, it gets you where you wanna be. Having a passion, you got to have it, because otherwise, it's gonna be tough. Doesn't matter what we do in life, to be honest. And I think uh, also you gotta have a, a certain amount of grit. Yes. As you said earlier on, you, you have to you have to be very determined. You have, you have to, to be very determined. determined. 
you know, you gotta. So, uh, question, Michelle, go ahead. Okay, so uh, with the changing geopolitical uh, landscape in here in the U.S., what steps have you taken to, to insulate your business from uncertainties over here in the United States and say also in, in Europe? Because I know you have some brands in Europe also. Right, you know, I think to, that's a good question. Um, there's a certain amount of uncertainty, but as far as I'm concerned, I think what makes sense for me is working with the right people. And I and I and I, what I mean by that is working with family-owned wineries that have been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. That they are they are strong. Uh, that they understand the the um, uh, how the market is evolving, and uh, and not so much what you are like what you and I like is also what the consumer likes. So we work with tremendous winemakers and tremendous wineries. I think we're. If we continue to do that, we we can be better prepared in case of you know politics gets on the way. I see. Yeah. So, um, what do you uh, what can you tell us about your wine reel right now? I know you guys are pretty excited, and something's uh, you're getting close to maybe getting a. Well, just tell us what I, I well, know. Okay. You're, so, I, so a few years ago. Uh, when I was making the wine, I was buying the fruit. I was getting some really good quality. And the following year, I wanted to buy the same quality, and they will, they will not be available. Yeah. I said, what's up with that? <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I realized that I needed to control my own uh, destiny. So the only way to do that, uh, I said, I'm going to buy my own vineyards. So in 2013, I bought Sun Chase all the way up in Petaluma Gap, up in the mountains, the Sonoma Mountains. So now, to make my pinots, I have my own source. I can work the vineyard, I can form the vineyard, I can be in charge from the day, the, you know, the day the, the grapes are ripe until it gets into the bottle from A to Z. So having control is a different story. Having control, having the right fruit, to me, has always been critical. A year later, I had an opportunity to buy property. <clears throat> I was a fixer upper in Napa. So I've taken a lot of those vines and I, I'm replanting. So I'm a really good friend with my bank. I uh, wanted to ask him for a loan. <laughs> and they said, okay, well, you know, you're willing to put your name on the dollar line. I said, okay, whatever. So, <laughs> and, and you know, that's really has helped me and, and to really reach my goal and fulfill my dream. And as a matter of fact, they had a, a small little winery that I was, I'm not going to go into it, but it was not good. So I put, turned that down and I'm building a small little winery in Napa, where where the existing place was, where we're going to be done by uh, before this harvest. So in 2017, we'll make our first harvest of Napa Cabernet, and Pinot Noirs at my own winery. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, yeah I, I can yeah. see you have a big smile on your face about that one. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fantastic. The love yeah, and the passion. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm very excited about it. Really exciting, exciting stuff. So if you had a, if you had to pick a place other than where you're at right now, um, do you have a favorite wine region other than what you're where you're currently working? Where you're not operating in, or 
Yeah, can I say one more than one or or just yeah, one? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I like I like the South Southern Rome. I like uh, Chateaunas de Bob wines. I love them, and the North part as well. Uh, but I, I also really enjoy Red Burgundy and the Left Bank Bordeaux. So I, I think there is, <laughs> how can you go wrong, right? Yeah. Um, but I. Because I'm not in those regions and I had a chance to taste some of those wines uh, here and there, whether it's a tasting or whether I bought them and I have it in my wine cellar, some of the best wines that I've had, they've come from those regions. So, yes, uh, you know, I mean, I think France, and look, look Tuscany, uh, I love Maceto. Maceto is one of my favorite wines in the world. So, oh, yeah. what can I say? But of course, it's four hundred dollars a bottle. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I say. I mean, uh, that only happens occasionally, once in a, every two years. Sure, sure. So, uh, somebody is thinking about getting into the importers' business and promoting wines. How much time do you spend on the road traveling? Oh boy, in the old days or now? Uh, well, in the old days and now. And the, in the, the old days, probably every day. The old days was about about sixty percent of my time traveling. Today is about twenty five percent. Okay, so that's still a fair amount of time. Is it's still a fair amount of time, and I gotta tell you this: how it's not getting any easier. So that means you know I gotta get out there and and do a little bit more traveling. People want to see you, you know. They want to see Al, you know. They want to see your partner here. They want to sure. see me. And so, and I have a lot of relationship across the country with a lot of key buyers. So, and because it's more, it got more challenging due to these consolidations and, and, uh, and these huge alliances and more competition and more brands and less distributors, you got to get out there. You got to do more of the heavy lifting. So, <laughs> well, I've, I've tried a number of your wines. Um, uh, the Tension brand, I think you uh, you handle that brand, which is excellent. Uh, the Tensely. Thank you. Um, you also do, um, what's the brand you do in Argentina? Um, uh, Kaken? Yeah, Kaken, yes. Kaken. Uh, I mean, all of your wines have... Um, they have a, a similar thread. Um, they're they're very they're very fresh and vibrant, and they have really really good fruit to them. And that's one of the things I noticed that kind of runs all the way across all of your lines. Is that by purpose? Is that or is it just? Uh, you know, I, I think I think I've been blessed. I think I'm, I'm I um, my palate is sort of I'm looking for wines, and I work with the winemakers to really satisfy the U.S. consumer. What the consumer is looking for, the wines are easy to drink, good fruit, well structured, soft tannins, actually ripe tannins, no hard edges. That's what I'm always looking for. And if I work with the people I work with, like you know Joy Tensley or Jorge Recitali or Aurelio Montes, we're always looking for that. We want to over deliver for the money, but we also want wines that can be approachable. At early stages. Yeah. Well, I say you definitely have uh, had a success with what I've tried. I mean, I, I have a, a bunch of those wines actually in, in my wine stash. <laughs> so yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> Keep the stash full. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alex, um, thank you so much for your time. I know I think we went a little bit over on uh, oh. what we'd asked for, but um, no worries. I know that 
everyone that listens to our podcast are going to really get a lot out of it. And um, hopefully this will drive some people to go out and try some of your wines. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks so much. And also, uh, if you could tell, is it uh, Marcella? Marcella. Marcella. Tell Marcella, thank you so much for arranging this. We really appreciate it. Uh, she was obviously she was instrumental in getting us together, and she did a great job of keeping it all together. How well in your name. Yes, thank you. Thank all you. Right. Thank you, sir. All, all the best. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.